Calvary Church presents Lead to Serve, a leadership podcast with Ed Taylor. Hey, welcome to today's edition of Lead to Serve. It's the podcast generated here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. My name is Ed Taylor. I have the privilege of pastoring the church here. And the topic today is like-mindedness. Oh, how important like-mindedness is when we serve alongside one another. Now, let's start off with understanding who our shepherd is. Like when we're serving, there's no question that in our spiritual service, our leader is Jesus Christ. He is the head. He's our shepherd. He's our pastor. He's our leader. But in making excuses, so for example, with with accountability and serving in the context of a church, serving at work, there's always accountability. There's always things to get done. There's always tasks to be completed. And when something doesn't get done and a person is held to account for that lack of finishing something, I've heard people, and this has happened with me many, many times, I've heard people come and say, you know what, I don't agree with you and I'm not going to follow you and I serve God and not you. And then they go off and do their own thing. And what they don't understand is, is that this often causes confusion, division, and chaos in a church every single time. And you know, the devil's into all that, wanting to divide and conquer. And I believe the answer to the attempts of the devil to divide is like-mindedness. Because the Bible teaches us that God has ordained spiritual leadership in his church. There's a clear chain of command, if you will, in ministry. Uh, For example, Paul would tell young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well. And so there's a function of oversight there. Or in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey those that rule over you and be submissive. Uh, Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. So there's oversight and submission. And it's important that we not lose sight that in serving, we're co-laboring together for the work of the kingdom. And another way of thinking of this is like, we're all under authority. And when we speak of authority, we have to remember that God desires our submission to authority. So let's pause here because, you know, whenever we talk about authority and submission, that raises up all kinds of feelings in people that have been hurt or wounded by bad leadership or bad authority. And so some of you listening may have a few feelings on this subject because in the authority structures that you've witnessed, you've experienced, there's been horrible abuse and horrible pain. And so listen, when there's abuse and pain, submission to God takes precedence. You are in no obligation to be hurt by someone in the church throwing out the authority word or the submission word. As a matter of fact, what I've found is if somebody in leadership or authority or like a husband starts throwing around the submission word, then the relationship is already broken and you better get in to start to fix it because submission is something that God does through us. It's not something that you boss people around. You know, God is not looking for more bosses. Uh, He's looking for servants. And so when there's abuse and pain, you do not have to submit to an authoritarian uh, leader who is abusing or hurting you. Uh, You're under no obligation to be hurt in the name of God. However, 
When there is godly leadership, that's to be matched with godly submission. Otherwise, they'll just be simply disorder. And so when there's godly leadership, when, when the fruit of the Spirit is demonstrated through a man, through a woman's life, who's been placed in a position of leadership, we are to submit to that, willingly, gladly, and joyfully co-laboring with one another. That's such a key. It's so important. It's worth repeating. When there's godly leadership, there's also to be godly submission so that there's no disorder, no confusion, no chaos in the body. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, there's this emphasis of Paul, the Holy Spirit's writing through uh, Paul's pen to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about marriage and such, but at the end he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And submission comes supernaturally, you know, when there's like-mindedness. Like-mindedness is very important to the ministry of Jesus as he invested three years of his life to instruct, to guide, to correct, and to prepare his disciples for ministry. Paul the Apostle looked for this in his ministry as well, where he was looking for that one mind. He says in Romans chapter 15, verse 6, that you with one mind and one mouth glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, he talks about fulfill my joy by being like-minded. I just love that phrase, like-mindedness. And again, in Philippians chapter 2, at the end there, in verse 20, for I have no one like-minded. That's a pretty sad statement. No one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state because, and here's what it looks like when there isn't like-mindedness. He says in Philippians 2, 21, for all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, the English word like-mindedness comes from two Greek words meaning equal and soul. So the idea in like-mindedness is unity, harmony, and agreement together. Literally to be activated by the same motives, to be of like character. And what a blessing for Paul as a leader in God's church to have Timothy, who was in agreement with him about the state of the flock. You see, like-mindedness grows as you and I abide in Jesus Christ. We have the same mind of Christ, and as the same mind of Christ, we begin to share practically of our minds together. Like-mindedness is so beautiful in the body of Christ, and what a blessing for me as a spiritual leader, even as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, and, and as a fellow believer, you know, to, have, uh, to serve alongside and have so many people in my life that I'm like-minded with, that I share in common. And I think of Moses uh, over in Exodus chapter 17. We have this example of like-mindedness as he's battling the Amalekites. And in Exodus chapter 17, you have this battle as the children of Israel are attacked for the very first time. It says in Exodus 17 verse 8, when the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek came to fight against them. And then Moses commanded Joshua, call the Israelites to arms and fight the army of Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, biblically, I'm sure you know this, but Amalek or the Amalekites are always a type of the flesh. And Amalek was a descendant of Esau. The Edomites quickly become arch enemies of Israel. And this is the first time in this young nation they're going to have to fight. And they're going to have to put up a fight of defense. 
And you'll notice that this fight, the, the battle was up on the mountain, not in the plains. It was fought and won by prayer and dependence. It, it was fought and won, as you'll see in a moment, by like-mindedness, by cooperation, by mutual concern, by sacrifice and support. Uh, coming together and having one goal and one cause, and we rally around the cause. Can I just say that that's sometimes lacking in leadership? Uh, I think it's been said, and I'm sure we'll hear this repeated over and over again in our time with this podcast, but it's been said, you know, if you don't know where you're going, then you'll end up anywhere. And you need to have a goal, and you need to shoot at the goal. And one of the goals for us as leaders is to know where we're headed and rally the people around us with the direction and the vision and the mission and the purpose that God has given to us. And in this case, it's pretty obvious. There's a battle to be fought and there's a battle to be won. And this is an important section for us since we do battle spiritually every day. The reason Israel was attacked was because God was their God, which is just why we get attacked. God is on our side. And because you've become a target of God's blessing, because you become a recipient of God's blessings, then you're going to be a target. So notice verse 9, it says, Moses commanded Joshua, call the Israelites. It's important that he gather the Israelites together and call them to arms and fight this army of Amalek because tomorrow I'm going to stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua, verse 10, did what Moses had commanded. He led his men out to fight the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of a nearby mountain. Now, this is the first mention of Joshua, and already he's a leader among the people, even as a very young man. And you young people that are listening to this, man, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful that you have caught the vision of God using you at a young age. And as you begin to serve and as you begin to step out in faith and as you begin to do things, just remember Joshua was used at a young age. Timothy was used at a young age. Uh, Joseph was used at a young age. On and on that list goes. David was used at a young age. And Paul would tell Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and conduct in love and spirit, faith and purity. Be an example. Don't let anyone despise your youth. And what made Joshua so valuable, I believe, is that when Moses told him to do something, the very next thing we read about Joshua is in verse 10, and you can mark this up, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded. We don't read any questioning, no hesitation, no arguing, no fight. He just went and did what he was supposed to do. So Moses goes up on the mountain, verse 11, and it says, as long as Moses held up the staff with his hands, the Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites gained the upper hand. But whenever he, uh, but when Moses' arms finally became too tired to hold up the staff any longer, Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. They stood on each side, holding his arms up until sunset. And as a result, Joshua and his troops were able to crush <laughs> the army of Amalek. So it looks to me that Moses is on the mountain in prayer. And seeking God and raising up the standard, his staff. That's where the battle is won. When his hands are raised, they win. And Moses takes to the mountain in prayer and he raises up his standard and he's lifting up his hands to the Lord. And Aaron or her are near him. And we meet Ur, her, H-U-R, in verse 12. Where did he come from? We don't know. But notice he was near. He was available. 
and he was there. All qualities that are essential for the ministry of Jesus. We've learned them already, haven't we? Faithful, available, teachable, spiritual. Key things that every man and woman can have in the ministry. And he was near to meet a need when it arose. And we get this wonderful picture of the three men up on the hill and Joshua down in the valley. You've got uh, everyone filling their role, everyone standing in the position that God had given them. Aaron and Hur took that position of support right up under the armpits, I believe. You know, as Moses is sitting there, they, they could be holding his arms up, of course, uh, from his wrist, perhaps. But I believe a more strategic place, because they don't know how long the battle is going to last. They get in a place of strategically helping Moses without being instructed. I, I call this the armpit ministry, you know. And rarely do people sign up for the armpit ministry. Often they'll say, well, you know, that this, this is ministry. I, I want to teach and, and I want to lead and I want to I be in, you know, in some place of notoriety. But most ministry, even with people that have positions of notoriety, the greater the place of responsibility, uh, the, the greater accountability, right? Don't let anyone uh, get, become a teacher because they'll have a stricter judgment, uh, James says. And the ministry is not all glamour and celebrity. It's actually not glamour and celebrity at all. Can I say that again? If you want to be like-minded with Jesus, it's going to be a rough road. It's going to be a difficult time as people resist the work of Jesus in your life. The ministry is not glamour. It's not celebrity. It's work. It's servanthood. It's sacrifice. It's doing God's will, God's way. The laying down of our agendas our selfishness, our pride for the sake of others. Again, Paul would say, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And as we serve one another, especially in the church, we have to remember that in our roles, we serve one another. We are mutually submissive to one another. What we don't read of Moses and his position of leadership is him bossing people around and Aaron, you didn't do this right and her, you didn't. No, there was a mutual, natural like-mindedness. And as we walk in the spirit, as we allow God to use us, as we submit ourselves to him, he will grant us more responsibility. It's a beautiful thing. And there, it's a, there's a special place to hold up the arms, if you will, of your pastor of your home Bible study leader. It, it's a beautiful place, husbands, to hold up the arms of your wife as she cares for the kids or she might have to work outside of the home. And it's a wonderful thing to support one another in love, serving one another, laying aside our agendas. I mean, I think that's the biggest issue. When we have our own agendas, like if you have an agenda and I have an agenda, most likely they're going to clash. But if your agenda and my agenda is God's agenda then we're naturally going to grow in our like-mindedness. We're going to be one soul. We're going to fight together. We're going to serve together. We're going to give ourselves completely over to the work of God on the earth today. And we're not going to be in competition. We're not going to be fighting one another. We're not going to try to one-up one another. We're not going to talk down on one another. We're not going to resist. We're not going to rebel. Verse 13 says, as a result of the like-mindedness, Joshua and his troops were able to crush the army of Amalek. And the Lord instructed Moses, write this down as a permanent record and announce it to Joshua. I will blot out every trace of Amalek under heaven. 
And Moses built an altar there and called it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, Moses, and they said they have dared to raise a fl- a, their fist against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. How does victory come? Number one, Moses, the leader, did what he needed to do. Number two, Aaron and Hur, the servants in submission to Moses, did what they needed to do. Thirdly, Joshua's down in the valleys leading the troops, fighting the war, did what he needed to do. And together, God moved them all together. They didn't have a plan. They didn't have a battle plan. They just had their relationship with God and their mutual trust for one another. And one of the greatest things we can do as we set out to serve is to trust God and to trust those that he's put into our lives to rule over us, to lead us, to to give us direction, to help grow us. I'm so grateful for the men that God has put in my life that I am like-minded with, but they are my pastors. Um, Pastor Jeff Johnson of Calvary Chapel in Downey, California, my pastor. Rudy Cardenas, who I served with so many years, the pastor in Calvary Chapel Downey of the children's ministry, my pastor. And I'm grateful for them as God uses human vessels who are like-minded serving together that brings great victory so that the people, we forget, and that'll probably be another topic soon, but the purpose of our serving is to glorify God and to take care of his people. And the people enjoy the blessings. And let me just say this as we close up today. I don't want to take too much of your time, but let me just say this. The number one hindrance to ministry flowing through our lives is pride. You and I are called to serve Jesus anywhere, with anything, with anyone. Even if it's camped up in the armpit of someone else, helping to accomplish the will of God, we all get to share in the victory. God gives more grace, James said, chapter 4, verse 6. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So pray for a servant's heart to support your pastor, to support your leaders with a like-mindedness that just grows and grows, and we'll all get to share in the victory. So if you want more information on Lead to Serve, you know, go to my website, edtaylor.org. You can email me there, or you can go to our website, our church website, calvaryco.church, and we'd love to hear your feedback. You can email me directly. Uh, Right now, it's pastored at calvaryaurora.org, but you can email me directly. I'd love to hear your input, your feedback, connect with us on social media, All the connection points can be found at edtaylor.org. That's E-D-T-A-Y-L-O-R. For this Lead to Serve podcast, it's so exciting to be here talking ministry with you. It's a passion of mine. I love doing it. Love to hear your feedback. Maybe you can send me some topics uh, that you'd like to hear about. But until next time, may the Lord bless you, encourage you, and let us learn how to lead to serve and to serve to lead. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Serve with Pastor Ed Taylor, a leadership podcast from Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. If you have a leadership question you want to hear answered on a future Lead to Serve podcast, please email it to pastored at calvaryco.church. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe, rate, or review us on iTunes and share us with your friends on social media. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time right here on the Lead to Serve podcast.